everybody, welcome back to We and You, where we talk about the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights and a little bit about what's going on in our area. I am Terrence Sullivan. And I'm Brittany Cook. We're broadcasting from beautiful downtown Louisville here in the historic Hayburn Building. As a reminder, any views expressed on the program do not represent those of Forward Radio or its board of directors. So today, we sit down with Kentucky State Representative Josie Raymond. Here is a little bit of that conversation. I didn't want to talk by myself because I hate talking. And Brittany <laughs> That's was... not true. He loves talking. He's a podcast host. Yes, I know. <laughs> he'll he'll say, "Don't make me talk this whole episode," and then he speaks like the whole episode, which I don't mind. I, I mean, do your like, thing. I'm like just the here. Presidential debates, like who got how many minutes? Look, I'm a cheerleader at this point, or the moderator. I'll be the moderator. I but would, I'm not going to cut them off. I'm I would just... rather not talk at all, to be completely honest. <laughs> I, some, Especially some days, I'm like, Brittany, will you just talk the whole time? And I'll I'll do some mm-hmms and yep. <laughs> That's happened like once. Usually I'm the mm-hmm Twice. Mm-hmm. Twice. <laughs> well, one, I tried to be the yes person. And then I was so interested in the person that I was like, oh, my gosh, we're so similar. And then we kept we kind of derailed for 30 minutes about just like art. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. That was a good show. That was fun. Yeah. I want to talk to him again. Anyway, um <laughs> take one taking one step back to your question. Um we didn't intend to do a radio show or a podcast. Um we had asked about being on a radio show or a podcast right. to talk about the office or to do yeah. like promo clips yeah. within the radio station and they immediately were like no we need y'all on yeah. you want an hour every week and yeah. i was like um <laughs> so we agreed to 30 minutes and we tried and 30 minutes was not long enough at all because this guy talks too much yeah okay <laughs> 30 minutes was not long enough at all so then we we're like, okay, we'll do the hour as long as we can record like 45 minutes. It's that sweet spot of not too long. And then the other 15 minutes is filled with music and intros Fluff. and <laughs> all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, so enough about us and getting started. Um, for, for those listening, yeah. <laughs> you hear another voice in here. This is Representative Josie Raymond. Um, in there. Hi, Terrence and I actually met um, Josie, ooh, what, like four five. years ago? Five. It, it might five. be five, five. now. Five. Um, we had interviewed her for a fellowship um, with the New Leaders Council Kentucky so very long ago. <laughs> and then at the same time, Josie and I were both working at the University of Louisville. Um, so... Yeah. We we had an argument about this the other day, by the way. Oh, yeah. It was a who met I, you first, and then we realized we met? both met you yeah, at the same I, time. We were at Quills. We were at Quills. <laughs> we were. I was in the 2017 um, class of New Leaders Council. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Four years ago. I don't know. I can't count. <laughs> seven, seven plus I've been dealing four. with budgets for days. Well, I'm tired well, of counting. Really, what happened was you all were the gatekeepers. 
like you were the screeners. Yeah. yeah. And I was trying to get into this prestigious program. <laughs> and I had to tell you guys that I was like this change maker and I deserve to be there. It is. And, and it, was, yes. it was very nice. And I'm very grateful that you let me in it. Yes, it, your your passion um, and your desire and your drive oozed out of that yeah. interview. Um, and it is not that prestigious. I love New Leaders Council. I'm on the board now. We are super grassroots. We're flying by our pants. It's prestigious. It's super prestigious. And it's my favorite people in yeah. Kentucky. I'd agree with that. No, your your interview though, when we when we met you. It was so fun. Like some of them, we did so many that day at mm -hmm. multiple quills across Louisville, which was weird, but cool. It worked out, but the tour de quills. <laughs> we also had some people go to the wrong quills, but whatever. Um, but your interview that day, it was very invigorating. And like some of them, everybody was great, but then some people were greater. And uh -huh. we, we talked about you for a while after because we had a little bit of space before the next one and we were like oh my gosh we want to be friends with her <laughs> and so oh, that's so sweet well i'm really glad that i've amounted to something to like, like validate your own decision <laughs> well you you amounted to something even then so <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely but we we had our conversation the other day because I saw on the calendar that we were interviewing you, and I said, oh, my Josie? And she said, no, said, no my, my Josie. Josie. <laughs> and I said, well, I've known her and been friends with her longer. She was like, no, you haven't. And I was like, yes, I have. And then I was like, wait, it was the exact same time. So, yeah. So you can be our representative, Josie Raymond. How's that? Right. Right. So, anyway... Thank you um, for coming on with us to have this fun conversation and uh, reciting our past history. Um, but really, we wanted to give you the space to start some conversations with us and our people about some of the things that you're either introducing or excited about in your work in the General Assembly right now, or really any other places that you are operating in right now. Yeah. Um, I, I went a little overboard this year legislatively. Well, uh, let me introduce myself. So I'm a state representative, Josie Raymond. I represent House District 31 in Louisville, which is High Point and Jacob. I was elected in 2018, so I've just started my second term. Uh, I'm a progressive Democrat, so I'm in the super minority here in the House. Um, and I've learned an awful lot, an awful lot about how to navigate uh how to navigate Frankfurt, build relationships here, you know, um, create legislation, work with constituents. So um, my first couple of years, I introduced just a handful of bills. And this year, it looks like I'll have maybe more than 20, which which is nuts. Um, <laughs> and, and part of the reason, and we'll get more into it, is that I believe, uh, in addition to like, we just need them, like we have so many urgent crises mm -hmm. to address. Um, uh, in particular, childcare and mom is and mom's out of the workforce. Absolutely. Things I'm really concerned with, but um, I'm one of the millions of pandemic moms across the country who was forced out of the full time workforce. Of mm -hmm. course, I've I've um, stayed represented um, in my community, but but we are part time legislators. So I was working full time at the University of Louisville. I was a student success coach for freshmen who were having a really hard time. 
and the joke's kind of like all freshmen are having a really hard time, but um, <laughs> don't have support networks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't have parents to fall back on or, or they don't have a financial cushion in particular. And so, so supporting those students and um, love them and miss them. But, you know, all of a sudden in March, I didn't have childcare for all three of my kids. Two were in daycare, one was in kindergarten. And so I made the tough decision that, that tens of thousands of women in Kentucky have made to leave the full-time workforce. Um, and that gave me um, more time to, to think about what I wanted to do legislatively. So um, yeah, if it, if it fits, I'll tell you guys about some of the stuff that I'm working on that I hope we can build some support around. Absolutely. I mean, I remember back even when we interviewed you, one of your first questions was, is childcare available? And I thought that that was such a, for me, a powerful moment because I'm not a mom. Um, and at the time I hadn't had too much experience working with moms. I think I worked with a lot of um, much older folks at the time, people that were already grandparents and things like that. So I hadn't had a lot of exposure to what a working mom's needs are. And that was such a necessary question, but also one that I don't know of many moms that feel safe enough to even approach in moments like that, because there's so much stigma that can be placed around a working woman and their abilities And so I really appreciated that being something from the jump that you recognized and continue to recognize in your legislative work now. Um, So I definitely would like to have space for more people to hear how you're recognizing that and what kind of initiatives you are requesting to address these issues. Yeah. Well, I I didn't intend when I was running for office and then something public mom i'm probably like the most public mom in the legislature you know there's other women with young children but um but you you might see mine more um one reason for that is that i gave birth to my third um last january 2021 so last january during the legislative session so i was out for a couple of weeks and then i brought my baby girl back and brought her onto the house floor and i fed her on the house floor and um, of course, I wanted to be with her and there was a bonding component, but it was also a really conscious decision to bring her in these spaces and to have other people see it, like whether it was inspiring to them or irritating to them. Um, I felt that since I was the first woman serving in the Kentucky House to give birth in office, that, um, I just thought that was a really important thing to do. And, mm-hmm. um, and now, for example, using my experience as one of these pandemic moms, I'm calling on um I just have to because my colleagues don't understand this crisis, really this looming crisis. Like we're talking about three things. Well, no, we're talking about two things right now, vaccine deployment and getting kids back to school. Mm-hmm. Right? Policymakers are thinking about both of those things, working on both of those things. The next thing that needs to happen is that moms return to the workforce. And there's no policy discussion around that. And I really think it's the crisis of, of the rest of 2021 and into 2022. So, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, though, like, as, as much as I try to be this, like, strong public mom, there is, you know, stuff does creep in your head. Do you remember a few years ago there was this representative here in the house, and he owned liquor stores, and he owned a houseboat, and so he introduced legislation that would benefit people who owned liquor stores mm-hmm. and houseboats? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I feel like when I talk a lot about child care assistance for daycare, like subsidies for daycares, or pre-K, things like this, that people think, like, that's my houseboat. And it's mm. like, no, this is actually critical for for 
the largest single voting block in your district yes. in my <laughs> uh, women with children. But there is some internalized oppression. Like mm-hmm. when I was having my baby, I I asked for two things. I asked for an aisle seat in the chamber so I could go pee and then like feed her. And um, and I asked for uh, a little empty room somewhere nearby where the baby and her nanny could be. Um, and, and that was it. That was like the bare minimum, but that's all I wanted to ask for because I still was like, don't draw attention, like, don't be a nuisance by having a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was sort of ashamed that I, that I had internalized that oppression. But, um, so that's the kind of stuff that I'm grappling with and I'm sure others. No, it's, it's great that you can speak on that though, because those are important issues and that, that internalized oppression is is real and sometimes i think that hearing someone else talk about it helps other people recognize that they might be doing it as well um my question i want to ask you is especially around this topic and then we can talk about some of your other um items but how has the reception been with your colleagues um on both sides obviously but just having these conversations what's what's it been like in the granted there's not much uh committee room or conference room talk right now because we're you know you're isolated to your office most of the time so what's that looked like especially in these times so you all know relationships are critically important in the legislature Mm -hmm. um particularly for a democrat who wants to achieve things um, and so I, I've had less time to do that, I think, than some others, because I had a baby, you know, my second session and was out some time and then was with her, you know, in this building a lot of times. Um, and then I took coronavirus very seriously at the beginning of the pandemic, which not all my colleagues did. And then I'm taking it seriously this year. So I spend about half my time on the house floor and half my time in my office for a week or so remotely. Um, and, you know, when I'm down there, I've got my N95 on and then my cloth mask over it. And there's not as much just like wandering around, shooting the breeze, like looking at people's grandkids on their phones mm-hmm. and this sort of stuff that builds relationships. So um, it's been a it's been a huge hindrance. And we were able to do committees remotely all through the interim. So and I was home um, doing non-traditional instruction with my kids on the computer. I have a kindergartner and a first grader as well. So, um, so I would sort of facilitate their education and then I would hop on the remote committee link. And so again, like it was, a, it was a missed opportunity to connect with my colleagues. Um, there's so many new representatives mm-hmm. this year. Um, we have one new Democratic representative, <laughs> and then like like a trillion new Republican ones. Um, and we've not gotten uh, we've not gotten um, like we can have a luncheon or anything to meet them. So um, the the good thing about being an advocate for early childhood care and education is that there's no natural enemies. I'm like a polar bear or something. There's no enemies. Um, Is that a polar bear? Right. Like okay. no natural, no, like no predators or something. Like, Got it. Okay. Not global warming, oh. but it's okay. No, well, I was about to talk about global warming. So, so, you know, here in Frankfurt, there's arguments about like all kinds of data, right? Like COVID-19 data for sure. Like climate change data. We have, we have climate change deniers. There's nobody who denies like the brain science behind investing in children really early. That's like everyone's nice like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, kids benefit from preschool. Yeah, great. Um, 
you know, then the, the first question is always then cost. And it's like, no, no, no. Can we just like agree on some shared goals and like some shared values around we want to invest in our children? Um, you know, the data shows that if they have access to high quality care, you know, that's beneficial for them. It, it allows their parents to work. You know, can we agree on these th- these knowns? Uh, and then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, but how much does it cost? <laughs> so uh, that's the sticking point with, with these issues and with everything. Um, through this pandemic, you know, I've seen a lot of colleagues who've not been passionate uh, previously about young children um, suddenly very concerned about uh, daycare closures or achievement gaps. Um, and that was, so that was my next question for you is how that shifted a little bit since COVID. Well, and- unfortunately, I think those were just like like cudgels to, to attack the governor's <laughs> measures um, during mm-hmm. the pandemic. You know, because I would see my colleagues like railing against it, and I'd be like, "Keep that fire into January! <laughs> like, welcome to the team." Um, and we've not, we've not seen that passion translate into legislative action. But um, maybe, maybe there's a moment. You know, we're in our recess right now, and so in the first eight days of the session, um, the Republican majority was able to do what they wanted, which was a couple of really just showy measures on abortion restrictions don't, don't really do anything but you know made the ideological point and then several measures to restrict the governor's powers in an emergency um he's vetoed those will override those they'll go to court so going into february and march we don't know i don't know what the majority's priorities are so so i do think there's some opportunity um i go back to this constant question i have in frankfurt of like how bad do things have to get hmm. before we act and as bad as things are, Kentucky has fallen to 50th in workforce participation rate. During the pandemic, we have fallen from 41st to 50th. Um, we like food bank requests are up 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, 80,000 people haven't gotten unemployment insurance yet. We know things are bad, but the budget looks really good. Mm. Corporate tax payments were high in December, 2020. December 2020 was the second highest tax collection month for Kentucky ever. So there's a real disconnect and the budget numbers are masking the human needs. Um, So how bad does it have to get before we take proactive action on on things that support families? I would say a lot worse. I think that's an interesting point to bring up because it's, at least from you explaining how the budget looks in comparison to the real human feel um and at least to me it sounds like you find peril or they'll people can act and respond to something being quote unquote bad or how bad it can get depending on where the hit is and so if those things aren't being hit then you don't see the perilous nature of where you are I, I liken that to people talking about the economy in the past year or two and they're saying oh the economy's great because my stocks look good mm-hmm. while more people are going to food pantries and using the food bank and people are up for foreclosure or eviction but the stocks look great, though. And GDP and, is up, <laughs> and APRs are as lowest ever. And and 
even yeah and even like our gdp or whatever um looking at the percentage of growth as opposed to actual growth mm -hmm. especially looking over like loss and not factoring in loss before that growth um it sounds like this is a similar situation where you identify where there are some issues but the things that people are looking at they don't necessarily see the issues to respond to because they're looking at different data points i guess because it, right right yeah. it's such a huge disconnect at the national level and and i've learned here in kentucky state budget and in kentucky families and i love your question like, who's in peril i said the corporate tax revenue was extremely high in december 2020. if it was down we'd say oh our corporations are in peril i'm not talking about small businesses who are in peril and that's why you saw in the governor's proposed budget, he proposed um, cash payments to small businesses, mm -hmm. right? Um, but if corporations were in peril, like you can bet we'd be acting on that. Um, the individuals are in peril, we know, but we know it statistically, right? Because these are these are sort of private struggles or individual struggles. Um, you know, we talk about the food bank or eviction. These are things you do just in private or amongst your family. Um, and I think in some ways they're like, oh yeah, you should get help anonymously. That helps you maintain your dignity. You don't lose your dignity if you're struggling. Um, but I think a lot of people in power, I think, um, like struggle in private, please. <laughs> I don't, I'd rather not see this uh -huh. and nobody else wants to see it either. And, you know, this has been moms with children all year too. You know, it's like struggle in private, make it look easy. Don't make a lot of noise. We don't want to hear about it. Absolutely. I mean, even on social media, I'll call that out right now. There was recently somebody that was kind of blasted around because they posted, well, I don't know why everybody's talking about not having gotten their checks yet because you only get a check if you make under 75000 So why are we putting that out there that we're making less than 75000 We should be ashamed of that pretty much course that's not a direct quote but it's kind of in line with what you're saying like you know if people are struggling if if people have any need then they can't voice that with any respect from others around them and and that's not okay right it's it, it we had we had a serious blame problem um and judgment and shame problem in kentucky before the pandemic Mm -hmm. You know, the, the I mentioned the workforce participation rate, which has been dropping for 10 years. Um, the the majority's proposed solution a couple of sessions ago was to cut unemployment insurance. And and that's that was the idea that like these people are mooching, like they're just living off unemployment. It's too easy to not go to work. So we have to cut that like a real stick approach. Uh, and I think now we're seeing there's got to be carrots, like carrots in the form of the sort of support that allows you to go to work, like full day daycare, full day preschool, um, full day kindergarten, um, things that not all families have access to. So you, I mean, you can't go to work when you're when your children only have a place to go, you know, yeah. from nine to twelve Monday mm -hmm. through Thursday. And we've also never really talked seriously, and I say we, I'm not in the legislature, but I worked there forever um there was never real serious conversation around the benefit cliff either and so when you talk about saying some people would prefer to not work or some people want to do this it doesn't seem to add up to me at least it's my personal opinion but if you do have some type of support 
that is helping you to achieve something that the moment you start to achieve something that whole level of support goes away mm -hmm. and that does create a disincentive for some upward mobility because there's nothing to help you there's nothing to bridge you in the middle mm -hmm. and so i i know or i would like to see or i i know some people would like to see more conversation around that because if that is the issue of thinking some people would rather not do something where is that focus on the cliff that you basically jump off of if you do start making some changes yeah there you know we were told last year that house bill one so the top priority of the leaders in the house was going to be about the benefits cliff and you know as democrats we were like oh are we going to vote for house bill one <laughs> you know that'd be so unusual and then we got the bill it did not effectively address the benefits cliff. What it did was attack public assistance, attack mm. people on public assistance, oppose things like lifetime payments from SNAP and from Medicaid. Um, but what's been so interesting to me to use that example and then the cutting unemployment one is that uh, um, they didn't they didn't pass the pandemic cut the public assistance one off, um, and they haven't come back. And it's like I thought this was your top priority. You know, I was told this was something that absolutely had to be done. Um, and you've abandoned it completely. I, I don't abandon my ideas because they're good ones uh, th that would help people. And so that, that's been something that I'm still learning about here in the legislature. How can something be so important to you and you're absolutely sure it's the answer for the Commonwealth? And then you're like, oh, never mind. I'll, I'll <laughs> what would you say is this is your second term now. What would you say is one of the biggest things you've learned since joining the legislature um the biggest things i've learned let's see what comes to me here's something um you know how every year they say they ran out of time <laughs> you know that's, that's fake that's completely fake um and i used to believe that completely lie like oh we couldn't get to you know this thing that would help people because they ran out of time in the 30-day session the 60-day session we can work as long as we want. We've got time to do the right thing to, to get them right. So um, that's kind of silly, but uh, that's one big thing. Um, I've learned, um, ask me something else while I think of it. <laughs> so maybe this will direct it. What's one thing you had, one thought you had going in of one expectation you had going in a few years ago that has materialized differently? You know, people ask me still, like, is it what you thought it would be serving in the legislature? And like, it's this huge honor, you know, I feel this insane sense of responsibility. Um, but I don't think when I was campaigning, I ever really sat and thought, what would it be like to serve? You know, I ran for office because I, you know, I believed in certain policies. Um, my whole career, I was working with low-income students. I was a middle school teacher. Then I worked at a, um, a nonprofit that helped high schoolers become the first in their families to go to college. And then I was that success coach I mentioned to you about. Um, and, you know, my students were in poverty. And I thought, you know, your lives are different, but there's some, there's some commonalities, right? There's some of the same reasons that your all's families are struggling. And so I think public office is where I go to tackle these systemic challenges. And like, this is how I'll end poverty in America, which is the goal, right? Which is probably what I told you when we first met. 
And um, sounds about right. <laughs> now that I'm here, I'm like, is this the way? <laughs> Um, we were just having this conversation on the way here. We were talking about this. <laughs> yeah, but just the like difference an is, any, is useful at all. Not just ele- not just elected office, but just being able to find a way to make the change that you want to happen happen, but being able to find a role that has the agency to do that. And there's a difficult spot for a lot of people because you there are certain facets of it that you can control. Like for you, as a legislator, you can introduce or propose legislation to be voted on to make these things happen. However, outside of your control is if it gets heard in committee, if mm-hmm. it gets voted on in committee, yeah. if it goes yeah. through. So there are different things that are part of a larger picture of change that it's there's a struggle of identifying for you personally, where do you have the most impact that you want to have and mm-hmm. not, not globally, what can give you the biggest impact, but the impact you want to have and what where makes can you, you get that? Yeah. What makes you feel like you're exhibiting your worth as somebody that wants to help other people? Yeah. <clears throat> we're, we're mission driven people, right? But it's reassuring to me that you all are thinking about this too, because I look at you all and I'm like, Oh wow, they're doing amazing stuff. They're so amazing. They're so funny. Um, so I'm glad that you're having the same thought. Um, it, it has been a struggle to be in a position of power, to have more political power than most people will ever have, to be in the halls of power and feel incredibly powerless. Um, that has been a real struggle. I, on on every um, on every um, like performance review I've ever had at every job. Um, like the negative part always says like gets frustrated easily and like shows it. <laughs> so that's well, definitely been true. That's also a marker for women. We're not allowed to show our emotions, right? <laughs> well, and I'm like, well, yeah, we're trying to like change the world here and it's really <laughs> urgent and I'm really impatient. Yeah. Um, so I definitely have those same feelings here, but to go back to your question during a campaign, I should have, and I would coach candidates now to think about what it's like when you have the job. I mean, I knew I'd work on these policies. Um, I knew I'd advocate for families. I thought I would do a really good job in terms of constituent services. You know, if someone contacts me, I call them back and I help in whatever ways I can, which is like a low bar, right? <laughs> but um, it could set you apart in Frankfurt. But um, so I knew all that, but I didn't think about the day to day and what will it feel like being there. I'll tell you what surprised me being here is I have experienced the most intense feelings of my entire life on the house floor. And like, I'm a grown woman. Like I thought I had experienced like the full spectrum of human emotion. Like I've been married, I have children, (laughs) but I have been the angriest in my entire life on the house floor. Mm. Uh, I have felt the most helpless in my entire life on the house floor. Uh, Probably hand in hand too. Like sorrow, Mm. really deep sorrow or, or like despair um, on the house floor. And so, and some veteran legislators in both parties would say like, oh, roll with the punches. We'll get them next time. Or, you know, this kind of thing. And then, and then they'll go to drinks. And, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to get used to it that way because it is life or death for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's, it's a form of callousness that I, I don't know that they're, that we're all built for, you know, working, 
in that capacity to help people, having such an empathetic demeanor, knowing that it is life or death for so many and to push it off another year or two years or or more and to say, well, get it next time, knowing how many lives and rights are lost in that time. I'm, I feel that. I, I truly believe that, you know, I can understand you feeling all of those emotions on that floor and, and some. And, and just to, <clears throat> on top of that, this is why people like you and what you're doing is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I of no surprise to anyone. Um, I've thought about doing something similar to what you're doing. And one thing that holds me back is um, I can only imagine the the feeling of being on the house floor when things are happening that you know are detrimental to the people you care about. And I had similar, not as strong feelings working for the General Assembly and writing, being uh, drafting bills, drafting this legislation that I, when writing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope this doesn't pass. I hope this doesn't pass. <laughs> and then as it as yeah. it goes through, it's like it's like speeding through committee, and it's like somebody somebody find an error or something. Like ask for a fiscal note, please. Like stop <laughs> it. And and it wouldn't happen. And the other side of that is when it would be really invigorating, and you're working on this exciting piece of legislation that's about to happen. And then there's something at the very end when you know this is this is great, this is going to happen. And then something at the end, like you said, running out of time, um, mm-hmm. something cuts it, something stops it. It gets completely gutted in a committee substitute. And it's like, yeah. this was going to be great. And then there's this like devastation that you feel. And so the fact that you can recognize those things and still show up and still be professional and still work with people is a testament to you but it's it's why we need people to take those types of positions and do the work and like Brittany was saying maybe more people eventually will feel like you or feel that okay this isn't the way it should work we should always want to fight and make sure that we're getting things done um, because I know for me, I've had the same types of reviews. I do get impatient with not having change happen at the, with the, at the speed at which I would like. As his employee, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also the same way. <laughs> Facts. But you want an urgent boss, though, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, I mean, I love it. But every now and then I'm like, maybe not everybody's on the same page. we gotta, we got to tear it back just a little bit. She says sometimes. That's, that's one. Um, you know, when I when I ask someone to do something, and this goes for my husband too, um, they'll always ask the very reasonable question of like, "When do you want this?" And I'm like, "Oh, now." Like, <laughs> was that not clear? What kind of question is that? Of course, I, I wouldn't ask if it wasn't like, now. Of course, right? Like, I have that course. same conversation with my wife all the time. <laughs> She's like, "Wait, no, like we're doing this right now." I thought you were just telling me, like prepping me for it. No, no, I'm telling you, like it needs to happen mm-hmm. now. If, mm-hmm. if I'm mentioning it now, then I thought about it before, and I wanted it to happen before now. So like, now <laughs> is right. too late. That's at right. this point. You were just—I just now got a chance to tell you. <laughs> Being here, like, I've got my legislation here, pulled it next to me, and, and on a lot of ver- versions of bills, I have the utopian vision, right, where it's like, 
a pre-K for all or a parental leave for all Kentuckians. And then I have more incremental version. And politically, I'm not an incrementalist. Um, that, that we can go there, right? So um, like, for example, I have bills to increase the child care assistance program, that's our daycare subsidy um, for families and our public preschool program. Uh, right now, families can utilize those services for free if their household income is at or below 160% of the federal poverty level. Um, and we wanna raise those both to 200%. Mm -hmm. and, and advocates are saying, we've been fighting for this for years, this would be incredible for families. And I agree, but I'm like, yeah, but let's make it like 10 million percent so it's everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, and now. Leave, like, we're going to start with state employees, parental leave. Um, Jason this Republican, is working with me on that. So we'll see if we get that through. But then I have a bill that's like, parental leave for all. Um, <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I've got a couple of constitutional amendments, right? The election went really Those bad for, for my party. Um, and so I thought, okay. We're gonna go. We're gonna do some big structural change here. So I'm gonna propose a couple constitutions. I'm excited about them and the conversations I hope we can start. One is called the Green Amendment, and it says that all Kentuckians have the right to um, clean air and clean water and a healthy environment. Pretty yes. simple, um, and it makes us elected officials really the trustees of that environment, so we preserve those rights for future generations. Um, so that's more exciting to me than legislation that would increase, you know, or like impose, you know, this 5% penalty on this emission if it gets over this many milligrams, you know. Um, but if that could pass, I'm open to that too. Um, the other um, constitutional amendment that I'm really excited about that I want to start a bigger conversation, I want Kentucky to be a ballot initiative state. Um, Where we you saw some very... <laughs> You saw some great progressive ballot initiatives pass across the country. Florida mm -hmm. passed a $15 minimum wage while they voted for Donald Trump. Um, what really inspired me because sort of my life's work is expanding pre-K um, is that uh, Portland, Oregon, the county that, that is home to Portland, Oregon, on a ballot amendment passed universal pre-K in November. Um, so I thought, could this be something for Kentucky? And and I'm convinced that it is. Um I think this is how we get a $15 minimum wage here in Kentucky if President Biden can't make it happen for us. This is how we get paid leave. This is how we get medical marijuana, pre-K for all, uh, expanded gaming. Um, this is how we make progress. You know, we're talking about we're, we're people who like to see things happen. Um, and I think we'd even be okay with slow progress, but right now we're going backward. Um, mm -hmm. So um, there, there's language in here that protects individual rights and protects um, historically targeted groups. That's what um, we're here so for. We can't, we can't use ballot initiatives to do evil, which is an important note. And then we learned from Florida um, where the legislature dismantled the people's will to restore voting rights to people with felonies. Um, and so there's, there's language in there that says the legislature can't undo the will of the people, essentially, um, when the people are expanding programs. Sounds so great. these are some of the, the big ideas that I'm putting out there um, uh, because in a super minority, when, when we can't even get a hearing, um, what we can do is share these ideas and communicate with folks as possible. Absolutely. And outside of, you know, going to the ky.gov sites and looking up these legislative bills, is there a space where you have at least the ones that you've been proposing that That's are a great idea. To let me make that on josieraymond.com. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's a great idea. So when can we log on JosieRaymond.com and make things happen? Uh, now. Okay. Now. <laughs> um, a couple things I wanted to circle back to um, before we run out of time. Um, first off, I just wanted to offer a brief correction to something you said, which I wouldn't okay. normally do, but you were talking about your work with constituent services and you're like, well, it's not that, you know, I think that's a huge thing and it's mm -hmm. very from, I mean, I, that's one of the most important pieces of what a, an elected official can do is tend to the needs of the people who elected them and public service or, or <laughs> even the people that didn't elect them, but the people for which they serve. And I think it's great that your focus is that you have this focus on constituent services because this is not to talk ill of anyone in elected positions, but some people, once you get to the halls of power, as you said, you forget about that part and you think about what can I do to accumulate more power or how can I wield said power and the focus on constituent services and keeping that as part of what you do is admirable and very much appreciated by your constituents i'm sure um i had two questions for you <laughs> um the first one is just something you just said made me think of it about there's something some places now do mandatory hearings on if someone has legislation proposed you have to at least hear it in committee i was curious on your thoughts on that but then my last question for you um is a big question to ask a an elected official <laughs> Um, but it's not bad, I promise. It's legalization, isn't no, it? It's no, it's not. No. Um, I, I'm just personal. I'm curious about what you feel is the role of the government and really the legislature, because I was having this conversation a few months ago is I was looking through the past few years of legislation that's gone through. And to me, I haven't seen very much, if anything, that it seemed like the designed intent was to help or give something to help people. It's mostly been some type of restriction or taking something away. And I was just curious what you feel is the role of, the, of our elected leaders. Is it more of restricting things or is it to help provide for services and things that address people's lives and needs that's not a biased question sorry that was <laughs> okay this is a test <laughs> wait tell, tell me the first one again so i can answer the first one before i it was oh the first one was just your thoughts on the states that have adopted mandatory committee hearings for proposed legislation oh yeah yeah i support that um there's a representative who's who has said i think if you get 40 co-sponsors you know out of 100 members in the house that you should get a hearing or a vote um you know, I support that. It, it, marijuana is the, is the perfect example, medicinal marijuana. Um, the majority of the House supports it, um, but we can't get it called up for a vote, right? The Speaker won't call it up for a vote. Um, so if we could force a vote on that, um, I think it could snowball. Because um, I think I could get, I think I get 40 on preschool um, from, from either party. But um, otherwise, it, it's, it remains incredibly divided and partisan as it is now. Um, just movement, just some activity would be great. Uh, role of government. Um, I think of it a lot like like that job I had at U of L that I was describing. And I was um, some some students had everything that they needed. They had everything in the world. They came to U of L prepared. 
Um, you know, they had all the resources they needed. Their health was great. Um, they had a goal for their lives. Um, and then a whole lot of students did right? Mm -hmm. they, they were lacking in one of those areas or all of those areas, which made success nearly impossible. And I think that's really like a, like a microcosm of what a citizen of Kentucky faces, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that the role of government, I hope that the role of government is to um, innate, put structures in place um, to enable everyone to have a fair shot. Uh, Equity. <laughs> we talked about, you know, I just, I just over the weekend was reading about, you know, equality versus equity, right? Like we've tried, we've been trying to educate people on that for a long, long time. So long. And this was taking it to equity versus justice, mm -hmm. which was powerful for me to reflect on that. I was just equity. And, um, but it, I'm going to use that word cushion. And I want to think of a better word, the cushion, but, but that's really what it is. If, um, your health fails you, you don't have family resources, there's no generational wealth, there's a natural disaster, um, and, and don't have a cushion, uh, it's very, very hard to recover. Mm -hmm. And essentially, we have quit that person, we've given up on that person, uh, we've thrown that person away, and, and that's unfortunate, it's happening too often. So I think the government has a role um, in creating structures that give everyone a fair shot. That was a great response. It like, was. Yeah. It was. Much, much better than my leading question. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm just happy that I wasn't the two-parter question person during this episode. Usually it's me, and he makes fun of me every time. <laughs> well, yeah, she gets into therapist brain and starts asking, like, multi-part questions that have Look. a hidden question underneath <laughs> those three. So... That's not what therapists <laughs> do, but okay. Sure. <laughs> So we all very different therapists. <laughs> we have taken up 14 minutes longer than promised. So uh, we will let you get out of here. But if, is there anything else you wanted to share with people or where people, if they wanted, could reach out to you? Um, oh, you, you can find me. Um, uh, my Facebook page is uh, Rep Josie Raymond, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Josie.Raymond. You can call me. 502-533-4024. I give out my cell phone number. Everybody loves it. Nobody calls. Nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll that's why I still you. do it. <laughs> I'll call but, as soon um, as we hang up. <laughs> um, and so you can find me. At, I, I always love to hear ideas. You know what I'm collecting right now is birth control sprays. Um, I have a piece of legislation that would allow uh, providers to prescribe 12 months at a time, uh, wow. which we know would greatly reduce unintended pregnancies. Um, and some cancers and it has a whole host of benefits. And so I'm asking people to share their stories. And you were talking about constituent services um, is, is contrary to building power. I think constituent services actually is building power. Okay. You know, as you oh, build no, knowledge. Oh, it's definitely building power for sure. As you build knowledge, you yeah. build power. You know, like help somebody with their flooded garage and help somebody get some food, you know, um, is really powerful. And I, and I learn a lot. And I'm learning a lot already through these birth control stories that people are sending me. I've used birth control to not get pregnant and to just hear this, hear the stories flow in on how people use it um, for health reasons, for survival, uh, for economic reasons has been really powerful. So um, any of those methods, I'd love to particularly hear people's contraception stories right now. Wonderful. 
Um, before we go, I do want to get a little therapist on us. See, told you. <laughs> um, every now and then, <laughs> you know, just when when moments are hard and times are tough, um, I, I just want to leave on a po- more powerful feeling note. And I know that, um, you know, as you mentioned, not always feeling the best on the floor um, and not always feeling like you're making your mark. I wanted to share a tidbit from the National Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman, um, who just presented a beautiful poem, but this is just part. Um, There is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. And I want to thank you, Representative Raymond, because I feel like you are it for many of us right now. And um, you're our light, you know, you're, you're doing the work when it doesn't feel like you're able to do the work. And the appreciation there and the gratitude is immense for people in your position. And I thank you. That was powerful. Thank you. So thank you. And we're again, very grateful that you took time to talk to us. Sorry that we went over a little bit, but we just like talking to you too much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys. All right, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. The music you hear throughout this recording was produced by Esquire Music alongside Spice Productions. Thank you.